Welcome to episode 15 of the Physiotype Podcast. Today is a bit of a special episode. We're going to be talking about Einstein, about his type, and about uh, how his work was influenced by his type, and how we can see his type reflected in his work and in his personal life. Uh, Alex put a lot of effort into uh, making some notes for us, thankfully, and I just read them five minutes ago, so my memory's fresh, and uh, so thanks for that, Alex, Car- carrying us along as usual. <laughs> yeah, so, so the idea here is, and I, I'm sure we'll do more of these, is we pick a historical figure that we have a lot of information on, preferably one that we have writings of how their thought process worked, and we dissect them. We say what we type them as physically first, and then we look at the information and see if it holds value to our physical typing, right? So with Albert Einstein, Albert Einstein's a funny one um, because since he was a physicist, everyone on the internet always types him as NTJ or sometimes NTP. Mm-hmm. Um, we do not agree with either of those, actually. Uh, yep. What did we type him as, Colby? INFJ, or just NFJ, as we commonly say. And so um, that's really interesting, right? Because as you mentioned previously, nearly, I would say, probably 90% of famous, influential, theoretical physicists and mathematicians are NTJs or NTPs. Now, I'm not sure why that is. We could we could guess, but it's surprising how much it's just almost purely NTPs and NTJs as far as physics and math. Um, so Einstein was definitely a ringer, and uh, he displayed his type in his work. So this will be an interesting episode, right? Yeah, I I don't know why. For whatever reason, F types don't typically make it at least make it as far as Einstein did as an F type in the physics realm. But I think in doing so, he definitely brought a different perspective into the physics field. And because of that, he he became as renowned as he is now. Um, and we'll go into that more in a little bit. Uh, to start us off, though, um, I don't know. How do you want to do this? Maybe talk about what people already know about Einstein. Smart guy. Yeah. Did a bunch of fancy stuff in physics. People who know more about physics will understand exactly what he did. But I think for the common person, they, they know he, uh, he figured out stuff having to do with like speed of light and gravity, stuff like that. Um, yeah. There is this thought that I hear often that Einstein was bad at math and that he actually like failed math in elementary school or something. Um, that is completely not true. Uh, in fact, uh, records show that he had taught himself calculus by the age of 12 and by 14 he was a master at integral and differential calculus among other things geometry um there's an account here where a family tutor of his max talmud says that after he was given a geometry textbook einstein had worked through the entire book at 12 years old and soon was so good at math that he was doing better than the tutor was and tutor couldn't teach him anything else so, Einstein was not bad at math. Yeah, I think by by any normal standards, Einstein was what we would call gifted at math. I mean, 
maybe he wasn't like the greatest mathematician of his century, but he was definitely gifted at math, like very, very, very good at math. And I think one reason why that rumor kind of goes around and why people like to think that is because he was a very um, physical thinker and did lots of thought experiments, which we'll talk about more. He clearly was good at math, but did prefer to do thought experiments um, to come up with his his um, theories. So Einstein was a theoretical physicist. Um, and basically, there's commonly there's like two branches of physics, or one way you can describe physics in two different ways is theoretical physics versus applied physics. So with applied physics, what you do is you do experiments, and you do things to the physical world, and you record the results, and you say, okay, I saw that when I did X, Y happened. So what can I infer about the nature of reality from Y happening when I did X? So what can I figure out about physics by uh, the fact that, you know, so, such and such happened. Um, and that's applied physics. And that's one way to figure out how the world works. Theoretical physics is basically taking things we already know to be true and then extrapolating from the things that are known to be true and figuring out uh, different truths. It could be lower level truths, maybe even higher level truths or like truths to the side. Um, so basically you're extrapolating truth from known things using usually math or um, in Einstein's case, lots of thought experiments. And I think we agree, Alex, right? That he kind of like, it was like he was doing applied physics. I think you said this, he was doing applied physics in his head. So he's kind of merging the two almost. Right. It's really interesting. Uh, I don't think thought experiments were unique to Einstein by any means. Um, nor do I think thought experiments are unique to NFJs, but I think being very universal and being very meza create helped him create thought experiments that were incredibly accurate. Um, I mean, you know, you're you're an NTP, you can do a thought experiment like that's not something that's specific to a type, but you know, based on what we understand of how meza works and based on how we understand of universal, we would expect someone who's very heavy and ni to have more accurate more mm, accurate and precise thought experiments uh being able to mo model the world internally at much greater detail than an ntp or an nfp like myself for example yeah so to understand ni users and especially nfjs you need to understand that they have an extremely rich inner world they generally have extremely vivid um, imagination, meaning like when I imagine an apple in my hand, I can kind of imagine it, sure, but it's not the same thing as me viewing an apple. And so the delta between how realistic I can imagine the apple being, or the, the delta between the realness of the apple I'm imagining and the realness of the apple I see is X. But with like NFJs or NI users in general, but especially NFJs, you know, their delta between how realistic the apple seems in their hand and how realistic the apple is in real life is much smaller. Like they, they have a much more vivid imagination and they have a much richer imagination and a much more intuitive imagination. That's right. And in fact, I think we've talked about this before, but many, if not most of these authors that create, you know, 
large collections of books that take place in a single quote-unquote world uh even or even movies like george lucas for example was an nfj um trying to think of another rich world i mean most most authors many many physics you said sorry right with their own physics with their own physics system or magic system the point here is like nfjs are incredibly gifted at this in general and so if you take a type that's already very good at something and you give them genius level intellect uh well you get you get you get einstein and it shows in his work exceptionally um yes he was good at math but he wasn't good enough at math to explain his own theories in fact many times in fact i'll read i'll give a i'll give a specific example here I think it was also interest, too. Like, maybe he was good enough in certain scenarios because he was very, very good at math, but he loved the thought experiments, and that's what he was good at. And he relied on them too much, even though they were very, very good. So it was just... I think it was like that's... You were talking about how water flows downhill, functions are the water flowing down the hill of your brain. You just kind of... You do what's easiest. And what was easiest for him by far was thought experiments. That was just his... He loved it. Right, seems definitely. Like at least. So, an example that I had found was he was trying to predict how light would bend light. I'm, I'm sorry, how light would bend with a gravitational field, and he was trying to show this to be the case. Now, he had come to this conclusion because he had previously come to the conclusion that, and I'll I'll try to spare the details as much as possible. Um, that if you're in a dark room and you can't see outside uh, and you're standing in the room, you have no way of knowing whether or not you are standing in a room that's that's staying still, that's on Earth, or if you're in a room in the middle of space that's accelerating at 9.8 meters per second. Why? Because gravity pulls you towards the Earth at 9.8 meters per second. So if you're accelerating at that rate, it's going to feel exactly like gravity. Um, so when he came to this realization, he realized that if you shine a light in a room that's accelerating at 9.8 meters per second, it's going to look like the light is bending down towards the room because you're, you're believing where you shine the light basically. Um, and so realizing this and realizing that as an observer, you can't tell the difference between being on earth or being in that room, then light if the light bends in the room, light should also bend on Earth or any place where there's gravity. Um, so this was a realization he came to in a thought experiment, yet he was unable to demonstrate this mathematically for, I can't find it now, but for, I think it was like eight years. He spent the next eight years trying to uh, trying to demonstrate that. And Yeah, I think we demonstrated it physically. Yes, eventually they observed it. They observed it in a solar eclipse, right? Yeah. But it took a long time for them to be able to express this using math, and he did not do it on his own. And so it's just stuff like that, like things that he was seemed so logical and made perfect sense to him when he did the thought experiment. But you know, something that makes sense, it doesn't necessarily mean you you know the math for it. Right. And it's 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 interesting that thought experiments work at all. Like I think. Uh... I, I would almost tend to have this worldview, and I can imagine others having it, that 
thought experiments aren't actually going to get you anywhere in science. Um, that's simply not the case, though. Somehow, it seems odd to me that thought experiments work, and yet they do. We are able to infer reality from thought experiments. And I just, it's, it's odd, right, that we have the tools to understand reality. We just need to use them. And that's interesting. Yeah, you're learning something you didn't know by only using stuff that you know. And that seems right. that seems counterintuitive. Like if you have the stuff to know it, you should or you should just know it. Like Yeah. It's like it's well, what's what's counterintuitive to me is that we you didn't know it in the first place. And of course this is true. I, I am by no means just know everything that I should be able to know by it, but it seems odd that we don't intuit all things that are true given the axioms we already know are true. But we don't, and that's why thought experiments are useful. Um, it's like a thought experiment is like um, you come up with a local scenario, local in the physiotype sense of the word. You apply like you imagine a man falling off a roof. Now, it doesn't have to be a man. It doesn't have to be a roof. There doesn't have to be grass underneath. But you come up with those things because that's just kind of an easier way to think about it. And then you infer something from that. You figure out something that must be true based on what you already know. And now from that, you've demonstrated a universal principle or just like Einstein imagining a physicist in a box accelerating at 9.8 meters per second. He demonstrated a universal principle from a very local uh, experiment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. It's It kind of goes back to what we said on our, I forget which episode. I think it was like, what is each type like episode? Uh, we were talking about NFJs and how in many ways they are the most local of the universal types. Um, and I think Einstein demonstrates that pretty well here. Like, like yes, thought experiments are technically universal, right? Because it's it's abstract stuff that's not that never actually happened, right? These aren't like there is no physicist in a locked box flying through space at nine point, you know, accelerating nine point eight meters per second. But it's also very local. It's it's real in a way that I think someone who's a mathematician would never be able to express properly. Um, and I think that's very unique to NFJs. I think that's why they're so good at telling stories. I think that's why they're so good, such good teachers. They're so good with analogies. Um, it's interesting. Can I read a quote here? This is from some of the notes you posted. Um, As opposed to physical experiments, thought experiments do not report new empirical data. They can only provide conclusions based on deductive or inductive reasoning from their starting assumptions. Thought experiments invoke particulars that are irrelevant to the generality of their conclusions. It is the invocation of these particulars that give thought experiments their experiment-like appearance. A thought experiment can always be reconstructed as a straightforward argument without the irrelevant particulars. John D. Norton, a well-known philosopher of science, has noted that a good thought experiment is a good argument. And a bad thought experiment is a bad argument. I mean, case in point, right? It's the irrelevant details are, they're irrelevant and yet they're necessary to make a thought experiment feel like a thought experiment and to make it intuitive for your common man to actually understand. The quote goes on, when effectively used, the irrelevant particulars that convert a straightforward argument into a thought experiment can act as intuition pumps that stimulate readers' ability to apply their intuitions to their understanding of a scenario. That's great. I love those. That's some of my favorite paragraphs that you pasted here. 
I think we've talked about this, right? Like between Meta and Meza, you know, theoretically, Meta doesn't have intuition, at least not intuition in this sense of the word, right? Like, yeah. We're not talking about MBTI intuition here. We're talking about intuition, layman's definition of intuition, something you know, you don't understand how you know it, but you know it. Um, Meta doesn't really do that. Mm-hmm. Meza, you can almost make an argument that that's, that's all it does. Um, I think it's interesting. Einstein, you know, he was half Meza and he was half Meta. And I think in some ways that may have let him down. Maybe let him down is the wrong word. But in some ways that may have been a crutch to him. But I think that is what set him apart from, well, from most other physicists at his, of his time. And even most physicists today. Uh, the only physicist, and physicist, I'm using physicists lightly here, that I can even think of that's an NFJ would be, um, oh, what's his name? The guy I can't stand. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, I thought uh, he was an NTJ. I thought he was NFJ. Maybe not. Well, either way, I do not like uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson either. <laughs> um, I'm sure he's a nice guy. You know what? I have no doubt he's a nice guy, but I just don't like that a person like that has to exist. I mean, yeah. I, I don't like his public persona. It's just like, it's like this silly, it's like, well, I've said it before. It's, uh, it's, it's intellectual pornography, what Tyson does. It's like, <laughs> He'll just say the same eight quote unquote mind blowing facts over and over again, or he'll like say extremely obvious things when people do extremely stupid things. And it's just like, you can't you be doing something more useful? Like you seem like a smart guy. Like you're just pleasuring a bunch of pseudo intellectuals by talking about the double split experiment every time you go on a talk show host. Uh, a talk Uh show it's like i don't know why it bothers me it shouldn't so much but it's just like i um i i once went to like a live i i don't even know what to call it like it wasn't a show and it wasn't it wasn't like a like a like a talk by him either it was but the point is he was there and he he went up on stage and he talked for like 15 minutes and i just how is he not boring himself out of his mind? He was boring me out of my mind. Like half of the time he was talking about how how proud he was of destroying some small child's uh love of Pluto. <laughs> well, you see, Pluto isn't even a planet. Oh, it's actually like what are you <laughs> like and dude, how he single-handedly you... destroyed the world's education system by removing somehow he uh, he single-handedly removed Pluto from the planets list, and it's like, like it's the same. Congrats, it's the same, but like, like the the reason why he annoys me is the same reason why people who care whether Pluto is a planet annoy me. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. it's like it doesn't matter. It's whatever. A, like a Pluto by a any other name don't. would smell as sweet. Like, who cares? Do you guys not? Like, people are fundamentally, like, unknowing Platonists. They believe that the name a something has gives it some, like, innate power. Like, it's, like, it's something other than the sum of its properties, which is just false. Yeah. And it's upsetting to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, half of his talk show was that, and then the other half was... 
I don't know. It was so boring, whatever it was. It had something to do with rockets. And it's like, that, that might not be on him. That just might be me not having any interest in rockets at all. But yeah, I don't like the guy. Yeah. Same with Bill Nye. S- same kind of thing. I like Bill Nye. I'm like, I, they're both seem like nice people, but I don't know. It just gets old. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also don't like the whole thing about like using science as a buzzword, like believe science. Like these guys are like label themselves as pro science. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Like anyone who says they're pro science is an idiot. You can guarantee like, what is, what are you talking about? Like when people say they're pro science or like believe science, it's like there is no way that that's coming from a genuine place because that doesn't mean anything. And it's like so self-evident. It's like when people say believe science, they just say what they're saying is believe the most mainstream science that is repeated the most commonly in your little group. And for, for like the listener who's confused by why we would hate a phrase called believe science. Um, and I know this is getting way off topic, but it's okay. Science should never be a belief system. Like that's like saying that like, Eng- I believe English English is a belief. Like, that's not how that works. If English is a bunch of rules that are constructed to demonstrate how the English language should be taught or be spoken, then science is just a bunch of rules that are constructed to demonstrate how the world probably works. So to believe in science is to believe in rules that may or may not be right because it's something we're constructing. Um, it's, it's not a thing to itself. It's just... It's just a label that we attach to things. It's a label that we attach to explanations as we understand them at any given moment. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. Really, you it's could just, probably explain it better than me. No, no, I, I couldn't. They're, they're really when people say that, what they're kind of saying is like, believe technical things that technical people tell you, and. Don't try and figure it out yourself and yeah. go with the flow and be agreeable. And uh, if someone more educated than you says something, you must believe them, which is also mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, Einstein didn't do that. Otherwise, we would not have general re- relativity or special relativity or any of nope. the other stuff he came up with. Um, in fact, there was a point where he was talking about... Uh, Maxwell's um oh what is it Maxwell's uh, electromagnetism and like this electromagnetism theory was based on the idea that like everything has an ether and I might be explaining this wrong but from what I had understood everything has an ether and so everything wants to find its resting position quote unquote um and again I don't understand it completely so I might be misrepresenting Maxwell's theories here but the funny thing about his theories was that some of his predictions based on this theory were correct. Like they were able to correctly get to the speed of light being 186,000 kilometers per second, I think. Don't quote me on it. But Miles, I think. Yeah. They got the right speed of light. Um, but there were other things that Einstein's thought experiments led him to believe that Maxwell's theory was at the very least was incomplete. If Einstein had been a conformist, he wouldn't have been able to further his theories because his theories directly contradicted the theories of the time. There's no good mathematician or physicist who is a conformist. That's that's the opposite of what science is. Hey, 
real quick, we just want to give a quick thank you to everyone on Patreon. So, thank you. For those of you not on Patreon, just so you know, we do have some nice benefits for the Patreoners. Uh, recently, we've been releasing a lot of blog posts, uh, and they get first access to that. No need to worry if you can't join, because eventually those blog posts go to the public for everyone to enjoy. But Patreoners get them first as a uh, as a nice little thank you for their support. Uh, so, if you're interested, the link's in the description. Thanks again, guys. Oh, should we... So, Einstein never liked um, quantum mechanics, right? Right, 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 right. And part of it, part of it too... Part of it, too, is that by the time quantum mechanics was becoming popular, he, he was older. Um, and I don't know. One of the articles I read or one of the papers I read that was it was kind of doing a retrospective of Einstein's thought process and, you know, how how he worked as a physicist made the argument that maybe um that part of the reason that he started falling behind in physics was because he started relying more and more on math as he got older and less and less on his thought experiments. Um, I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if that's true. I have a feeling that if Einstein was relying on his thought experiments when quantum physics came around, he probably still wouldn't like it. And I would argue that that's actually the main reason he didn't like it. Well, um, yeah, quantum quantum physics is extremely unintuitive. Um and so I agree that, I mean, I, I think regardless of how he was thinking, he wouldn't have been comfortable with it because he always put his intuition first, which worked. It, it was, you know, that was, it was great, but um, quantum physics isn't intuitive. Right. That's the thing about intuition. It works. It works until it doesn't. Um, yeah. It's very much like any form of thinking, any form of thinking you use is going to work until it doesn't. Just because yeah. you are very intuitive in nature doesn't mean you're always right. doesn't mean your intuition's always right. Then again, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if quantum physics is, or at least the quantum mechanical model is wrong. Like, it works, but I think it's okay that he leaned on intuition. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. I, I heard like one uh, mathematician physicist saying that Quantum physics is like trying to answer a non-binary question with yes or no. Um, and so what you end up doing is you say that the answer is somewhere between yes and no. And that doesn't make sense on the test. You say it's a superposition of yes and no. And that just, you can't imagine that. But now if you extend the the answer sheet to like, an essay type now instead of yes or no bubbles now it's it's very intuitive you know understand how to um talk about the que- the or talk about your answer rather than just saying your answer is yes or no and i've heard some mathematicians refer to quantum physics that way that indicates to me that it's not as it's it's a false model that works apparently some people think mm-hmm. like uh like maxwell's uh electromagnetism it was wrong but it had accurate predictions yeah like maybe once science progresses we will go back to a non-quantum model obviously we can't go back to like uh 
Newtonian physics exactly, but you know what I mean? It'll be something that's more intuitive again. We'll, we'll switch back to something more intuitive, maybe. Who knows? I'm just, you know, just throwing this out there. It's, it's interesting. Uh, and I don't, I, don't have the, I don't have the names to back it up right now. But I do remember at some point we were looking at, like, quantum physicists. And many of them were NTPs. And mm. I can't explain exactly why that makes sense to me. But quantum phys- physics has always felt more meta to me. Um, and maybe it's because of the fact that it's less intuitive by nature. Uh, either way, it's interesting. I I could see an argument for quantum physics being a big turnoff to NI users, like Einstein, for example, because of how it's so much more difficult to create a thought experiment that would accurately predict quantum physics. Well, <laughs> NI NI people love um predicting things, you know. Like I think mm-hmm. it's just into it's it's harder for ni people to say uh here's a probability field and here's how it dissipates and the particle is most likely to be found here but it's also eight percent likely to be found here like they do not like saying that well for ntps it's like that's pretty you know probability and uncertainty is fine for ntps they say that stuff about about things that are are uh, straight up facts like yeah this is 100 yeah. percent true i think maybe is basically the NTP's model of the world. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it makes sense that uh, NTPs are more comfortable with quantum mechanics just because they're more comfortable with probabilities and uh, uncertainty for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Right. NI loves predicting. They're, NI is like Sherlock Holmes um, is great at predicting, right? Because he's an NI user. He he creates a story in his head. He sees chalk on, you know, your left shoulder uh, and then creates a story in his head and figures out how the chalk was there. Now in real life, well, actually why there is no Sherlock Holmes in real life isn't because there's no one as smart as Sherlock Holmes. It's because at best the story you tell yourself about why there's chalk on, on the left Jack on the left shoulder of someone's jacket has like a 20, the the best story you can tell has like a 9% probability of being true. But in this fictional scenario uh, with Sherlock Holmes, he it's just always 100% true for him. And that's kind of like how NI users are. Like, they're they're good at predicting things, but... It, they're not good at assigning probabilities to their predictions. It seems that way, yes. They like to assume things are true or false and then build from there. Right. And again, that, that goes back to, to Meza. Either it is or it isn't. There many times Meza has a hard time with in betweens. Mm-hmm. You know, either this is a dog, or it's not a dog. Either this is a BMW E320, or it's not. You know. Yeah, that's um, that's interesting that Mesa has a hard time with in between states or with non-binaries that that almost seems like a meta trait but it's clearly not like because normally meta we refer to as like digital binary um but at the same time meta is more comfortable with uncertainty what do you what do you yeah it's i it's because meta believes that a thing exists independently of its properties so if the bmw e320 is a bmw e320 with a different engine in it that's not a BMW E320 for a Meza person, but that could still be for a Meta person. Depends on where they draw the line of BMW E320. The Meza's going to draw the line at there is no line. Like, 
either it is or it's something else. Meta may be like, oh, it's an E320 until you take the symbol off the car. Or it's an E320 until you, I don't know, paint it a different color. Like, I'm giving bad examples here, but you, you understand. Yeah, messes would care more about the language used and more about the def like the definition they would more, they it would care more about the identity of the BMW E320 like a meta would be like a BMW E320 you call it that once it has these 95 properties um and a messa person is just like that's a BMW E320 i don't know why it is but it just is and to change anything about it would mean that it is not maybe in metaphysics there's um the concept of nominalism and platonism and nominalism is kind of the philosophy that there are no true perfect forms of things and the names we give things are merely pointers to like physical objects um like a chair is just called a chair but there is no true perfect form of chair it's more, it's, it's, this makes more sense to just explain Platonism rather than try to explain nominalism. Platonism is a belief that there is a perfect form of a chair. There is a perfect form of a triangle. There is a perfect form of a sphere. There is a perfect form of man. Somewhere in the ether, in a different dimension, there exists the universal thing as a local thing. Um, that's kind of the, the nominalist belief, which tracks very closely with Mesa. Um, and so, what what goes on with that belief of 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 platonism where you believe that there's a perfect form of things what kind of is necessarily included with that is to believe that a thing has this emergent property about it such that an object by a certain name exists and it is not just the sum of its parts it has special meaning um in and of itself, you know, um, I've never been able to properly articulate this thought, but I think our listeners may get most of what I'm trying to say. I think, and I think most Meza users don't believe this consciously, but do believe it intuitively. Like, I mean, maybe this is a bad example, but like grammar Nazis, for example, um, why why do grammar Nazis exist? Okay, sure, some of it is pseudo-intellectualism, and they're trying to signal that they're smarter than you. But I think more than that is that a person who is quote-unquote a grammar Nazi actually feels like if you say something wrong, even if the understanding is correct, you are incorrect. So it goes back to the same, is it right or is it wrong? There's no in-between. There's no, oh, you're right-ish. It's right or wrong here. If you meant to say, oh, look at that bench, but you actually said, oh, look at that chair, you're wrong. I think a meta user would not see that as wrong because bench or chair, it's the same thing. There is not, There is no real, there's no ethereal version of this item that to compare it to. It's either, it's a thing you sit on. That's the point. That's what we're really getting at here. Because there's a perfect form of a chair and there's a perfect form of a bench. And you said chair, not bench. And so, yeah, I see. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's And people do this in different ways. It's not just grammar Nazis. Uh, I don't know. Uh, okay. Uh, this is this might not be the best example 
for the listener, but it's a good example for me to explain. Um, in the ecology community, there's a very, and I'm, I mean, even in like mainstream, like environmental science, there's this strong push for like every animal is important. Endangered species are important. We must protect them all because they all play a part in the bigger picture of the environment or of the ecosystem, right? So we have this beautiful ecosystem called the Everglades. If you take out the Florida Panther, you've destroyed the Everglades. The Everglades is gone. You've killed it, right? Um, Is that true? Well, it depends on what you define as killing the Everglades. Uh, I think to someone like what you're talking about, someone who is very meza, someone who is a platinist by nature, killing the Florida Panther removes an important identifier of the Everglades. It takes away from its identity. To kill the Panther is to kill the Everglades. To a meta user, like an NTP or an NE user, uh, to kill the Florida Panther, yeah, you took a piece of the Everglades out, but like that's like taking the doorknob off of a car. Like It's still a car. You just removed a piece of it. One it one believes in the perfect version of the Everglades. The other one believes that there is no perfect version of anything. Right. So the the Mesa person believes that there's a perfect version of the Everglades, and obviously that includes the Florida Panther, or whatever you're talking about. And so when you remove the Florida, <laughs> what's it called? Yeah, the Florida Panther. Yeah. So I'm just repeating what you said because I love it. Um, so when you remove the Florida Panther, because it's a perfect version of the Everglades that include the Florida Panther. This is no longer that perfect version. Therefore, it's something maybe they'll admit it exists, but it's not the Everglades, or it's it's ruined, or it's destroyed, and it's it's more destructive to their to their imagination, to their psyche. I it's, I think that's a great example. I had mentioned um, emergence in philosophy. I didn't explain it though, and I, I would like to real quick. <laughs> I know we're like off of Don't Einstein we- again, but like whatever. Um, we'll pull it back to Einstein. We'll find a way. We'll find a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so another way to describe the difference between meta and mesa, like we already talked about Platonism versus nominalism. I think another thing that it tracks with is philosophical emergence. So in emergence, uh, what happens is when a number of properties come together to form an object or a set, um, the object that occurs at that point um, gains a emergent property. So let's say you have this object of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and the properties are 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Um, once you combine all those properties, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and it becomes that set, it now gains a new property. Uh, and that's philosophical emergence, that an object is not just the sum of its properties, but it gains a new property um, just on account of it being an object. Um, and in reality, that doesn't actually happen. Like, you could, argue, you could argue against this and say, okay, well, when you combine certain elements, they form when you combine certain elements, they form a chemical that has a property that neither of those elements previously had, and you could call that emergence. But it's not really emergence because you can still define how that property got there. And the property is still a predictable combination 
of the properties combining that gave birth to it. But in philosophical emergence, there is no reason. It's just like it's a thing that emerges for some reason. And that's kind of the mess of mindset. Like there's this intrinsic, it's an an intrinsic property of an object that makes it special for some reason. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to talk about yeah. this for some reason. <laughs> I think it's hard. I think in part it's hard to talk about because it almost feels like we don't have the right vocabulary to express yeah. it. It's like there's there aren't really words that that work for this. Well, it, English is that's how it feels like. I mean, modern language. I I really think that we should incorporate first order logic into modern language. Like, that would just be amazing. Like, when we use words, we say, like, and. And and could mean, like, three different things. When we say or, or could mean three different things. Um, Like, we just need to incorporate, like, 10 or 12 nice first-order logic symbols into our speaking. um, And that would just make things way better. Um, I'm also learning, like, I was looking at set theory this morning. And set theory is another great way for that, like, another great thing that we should, like, incorporate into our language. So, like... I think schools should like teach basic set theory and basic first order logic. And we should actually change English to include these concepts so that we can more accurately communicate because I think it would, uh, I think it would change the world for the better. (laughs) I, uh, I've skimmed set theory, but I can't say I understand it at all. And so I have nothing to add. I think that it's basics. It's super super simple it looks like and i'm sure it gets more complicated yeah. as you you know throw more just like everything it's it's basics are super straightforward so it it's interesting you know um, intrinsic like intrinsic versus extrinsic intrinsic seems to be much much more related to meza and extrinsic and extrinsic ugh, say that five times fast seems to be much more related to meta um an argument can be made that intrinsic doesn't really exist an argument can be made that emergent properties does don't really exist, and yet that's what Meza depends on, and that's what you know. I'll, that's what Einstein's thought experiments depend on, in a way, and to depend on something that doesn't exist and still come up with accurate predictions because of it, like that's it's kind of going back to what you were saying before. Like thought experiments shouldn't work, and yet they do. For something not real to lead to something that's real shouldn't happen um i don't know it's just it's interesting meza is like this kind of like super strong super deep meza thought is so foreign to me and i i want to understand it better but i i really do have a hard time with it sometimes and like that's speaking as an nfp that's you know should be half meza like i don't know it's just it's it's so interesting to read about einstein and about how he thought and how he worked it's cool I wish I could have like an NI brain for a day just to understand. Yeah, it would be interesting. I think NI people are right more often and they're wrong more often. <laughs> I think right? that's because they're making they're 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 far more confident in what they say more often. As an NFP, I it's hard to say I'm wrong when I'm like, oh maybe this is true, but maybe not. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean Am I right? a lot Am I of wrong? I'm both. A lot of uncertainty tracks with intelligence, too. I So I think we've made an incredibly strong argument for NI with Einstein. Uh, 
I had a I personally had a really hard time digging up stuff about his personal life that demonstrated the way he worked socially. So like I found like historical social things about him like okay he wasn't very nice to his wife um things like that but i had a hard time finding anything that like discussed how he talked or like you know how how he dealt with social groups anything like that so i guess what i'm leading to is i i don't have a strong argument for effie here but i also don't have a strong argument for any of his social or any of his um judging functions yeah i think we have strong evidence for ni and like nfj in general like from our anecdotal experiments experiences with nfj i don't think we have like strong individual evidence for fe do we right no not that i could tell not that i could tell i think nfjs are absolutely fantastic at thought experiments i think they're better than ntjs at thought experiments although i couldn't give you um a rationale for why that's the case. Um, I think NFJs are more likely <laughs> to uh, to live the kind of philanthropist uh, lifestyle that Einstein seemed to live. Philandering, then. you mean? Philandering, yes. Not philanthropist. <laughs> philandering. <laughs> yes. Um, as to why that's the case, I mean, I could speculate, but... <sighs> yeah, we should... Um... We should interview F- a bunch FI, of people. FI definitely seems more monogamous than NFJs are. I shouldn't say more than N- than FE because I don't know if that's the case. But like NTJs seem more monogamous than NFJs for whatever reason. Um, yeah. And like behaviorally, he's definitely NI. So like I'm not even going to bother arguing against NTP because an NT- this wouldn't make any sense for an NTP. I just I wish we had more information to provide a better justification for FETI, but I the moment we don't. Yeah, I think we we provide yeah, I think it's a good I think Einstein was a good example of NI and NFJs in general with his work. So I, I think that's it's good. I took a look at some of the people that Einstein went to for help with the mathematics behind his theories. And an overwhelming majority of them seemed to be NTP. Um, I don't. We didn't discuss each one individually, but there was a lot of NTPs here. Uh, not just not just mathematicians he talked to, but also mathematicians that he based his theories on. Um, like one of them was uh, what's his name? Ryman. Uh, right, Ryman. Ryman was NTP. Uh, Besso. He was either SFJ or NTP. Uh, my money's on NTP, but I don't know. The face could go either way. Right. Yeah, he almost looks like a SFJ, but just like generally <laughs> mathematicians are NTPs for whatever reason. So we're just, yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Um, same thing with, with Adrian Fokker. Like, it, it was a little harder for me with him because of like just every picture I found was a beard. But it did look like he, haven't, he had a lot, high labiumental crease in the picture with his wife when he's young. And just the general hooked nose and SI looking face. But I don't know. I had a harder time with him because of that. He derived the Fokker Planck equation along with Max Planck. Um, anything to add here? Probably. Um, 
yeah, he did seem to be a dick in his um, personal life. Yes. Uh, yeah, he wasn't like, a good father. He was a bad father. He was a bad husband. Um, did you... I put it in the notes, but we I, I didn't mention it. Did, did you see that he, at one point, to his first wife, he drew up a contract for her to sign that... The only way he would stay married to her is if she agreed to not talk to him, um, to not expect any intimacy from him, but to continue doing her other wifely duties, such as cooking and cleaning and things like that. And that if she agreed to these terms, this would be the only way he would stay ma- married to her. <laughs> yeah, I saw her notes on the uh, the contract. Um, smartly, she rejected the contract and divorced him. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not, I don't know. And yet he was very civil and he was known to be very kind and friendly to, uh, to people in the exterior, to people outside of his family circle. That's um, kind of, uh, par for the course with NFJs though. Yeah. That's very much like an unhealthy NFJ trait. Yeah. The, the ability to, uh, to behave one way with one person and very differently with another person. That's just very meta social, like. That's very much using behavior as a tool. And it seems to me that Einstein did a pretty good job at that. Uh, mm-hmm. To be able to, to flip that switch like that is is pretty meta. Outside of, like, outside of that, though, like that's almost like a TI. Like a TI with, with his FE, which, I mean, makes sense, right? He's a physicist. So you would expect, like we've said before, most physicists are T. Most physicists are prone. Why that's the case, we don't know. But it would make sense that for a person to enter a field that's mostly prone, that they'd they'd have some pretty prone traits themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's almost like the car salesman feel of that you see in like STPs of like they're 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 your friend, but are they are they actually your friend? Right. NFJs are almost always the most likable type for the first 10 minutes (laughs) and again i should say before before we continue down this line that we're talking about like unhealthy unhappy nfjs here there's plenty of good nice happy nfjs that aren't two facing you um but absolutely if of all the types that are of all the unhealthy versions of all the types nfjs and nt and uh stps are by far the most likely to be two-faced in the way that Mm. einstein is described here yeah, yeah, I would agree. I found this quote from, I believe it was Einstein, very interesting that you included here. Um, I won't read the quote, but basically um, he discussed his disinterest in studying math. Um, so in other countries besides America, they call it maths, right? Um, and there's actually a really good reason for that. Because there's lots of different types of maths. And in fact, like the different uh, fields of math are actually differentiated by the axioms that they're built upon. Like each, I believe this is true, that each branch of mathematics has its own um, axioms. Um, Like there's algebraic axioms, there's, uh, as an example. Um, And so anyways... Einstein was basically saying, um, I can't learn 
all the math, all the fields of math that I, I need to, to, you know, to really help out my theories very well. I could waste my life just on one um, type of math, learning it really well and understanding it or a few types of math, but there's just too much. And so he didn't want to spend all of his time learning math to, you know, prove his theories and to help his theories along. He was more interested in just the fabric of reality itself rather than math, which is used to describe that fabric, which um, makes me think of a thought I've had before, like that math really is just a descriptor of reality, that math is the math is very close to the lowest level um, in, in science, right? Like there's, you could say there's chemistry and then below chemistry is physics and below physics is math. But there is, there are things below math. There are domains of, uh, interest below math, such as like logic, metalogic, metamathematics, and just reality itself. Um, all these things sit on reality. And I think logic is a little bit larger than math. <laughs> Listeners are going to think I'm uh-huh. crazy at this point. If I could explain it better, I wouldn't sound crazy. Um, but Einstein was interested in a pretty low layer and he just wanted to use his intuition. I feel like he just wanted to use his intuition to understand reality um, rather than using like a contrived uh, formal system such as math to describe the reality that he intuited. Does that kind of make sense? Right. It does. It does. Um, I don't know if this is exactly what you mean, but I, I feel it feels similar to like the idea of like someone who wants to read Romeo and Juliet, but instead of just reading Romeo and Juliet, they spend their entire life learning about the ins and outs of the English language and the history behind the English language and how each grammatical instance of the English language would work. And then they spend their entire lives doing that and never get a chance to actually read Romeo and Juliet. I think Einstein was in a way worried that by learning maths, uh, he would miss the opportunity to actually read the story of how the universe works. So he tried to get by with as little math as he could while still understanding the big picture here, which was, you know, the universe. Um, Some people are definitely just really interested in math and how math works. And he definitely leaned upon those people to help get his points across. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I'm so tempted to use this podcast to talk about things that have very little to do with physiotype. (laughs) <laughs> that's why you got to start your uh that's why you got to start your uh, epistemology p- podcast i know i know i do so i i guess quick summary and if we have any more tangents we can add them in here um we typed einstein we typed him as nfj we were somewhat surprised by that especially given how many other physicists there are out there that aren't f types um you know I wish we had done this at the beginning of the episode and just went ahead and said that NFJ matches with Meza Universal Supine. Um, I know there's a few listeners out there that only know this by our system and not by the MBTI system. And I wish I had included that earlier. Really? Um, there, we have listeners it. that know Physiotype now who don't know MBTI. Mm-hmm. Wow. that's yeah. a, I'm impressed. It's, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> there's one listener in specific has expressed to me that they are dyslexic and that our nomenclature makes a lot more sense than them trying to learn uh 
yeah sfj nfj stuff like that um, mm-hmm. so sorry to all our dyslexic listeners out there i forgot anyways um so yeah nfj meza supine meza universal supine we were surprised by that as i'm sure the listeners are probably surprised by that uh so when we did that when we f- realized that we decided we wanted to take a closer look at his life um he is in fact a very ni very meza universal um he was good at math but not the best at math he relied on other mathematicians which tracks well with our expectations of meza he did tons of thought experiments which also tracks very well with meza universal um he was a bit two-faced which tracks with uh metasapine and metaprone um at least unhealthy metasapine and metaprone so while we i can't say we have enough evidence to say he is 100% nfj based on behavior alone i'd say i'd say our justifications are strong enough to release this episode to the public uh what do you what do you think colby oh yeah yeah um he looks like an nfj very much and he from what we can uh, infer of his personal life he seemed like an NFJ as well. I wonder if, if without a picture of him, if we only had things discussing his life, what we would have said. I bet we still would have guessed NI and Mesa. And I bet we yeah, would have we, guessed NFJ, honestly. Yeah. I, I, like, I don't know. This sounds terrible. But, like, an unhealthy NTJ is going to be rude to everyone. You're not yeah. going to have this, uh, this, this two-facey kind of behavior of like everyone in his outer circle thought he was this super kind gentle man and everyone in his inner circle only had terrible things to say about him um, yeah if he was unhealthy and he was ntj everyone would have terrible things to say about him i was just say nfjs even when they're unhealthy they're still soft you know like there's like you say two-faced and i agree with that but it's not like he's extremely meta two-faced it's just how he was he just was a dick to his family and was probably fairly pleasant to random people. But yeah, yeah, no, I'm, you know, I, I was less confident with our read before this episode than I am now. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think we've made our points here. One quote, uh, I'm reading here that I think is important and demonstrates, uh, him not being like NTP or NTJ would be, uh, these aspects of his thinking, such as his thinking very physically about uh, visually and physically about physics. These aspects of his thinking style inspired him to fill his papers with vivid, practical detail, making them quite different from the papers of Lorenz or Maxwell. So par for the course for what we've been learning about Einstein, right? <laughs> no, I think, uh, I think I'm, I'm good. I want to do this. Uh, I want to do Feynman next in TP because he was. Yeah, uh, that'd be fun. I love that guy. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Just a quick announcement. We have an Instagram now. So if you are interested in following along as we type celebrity faces, um, you know, political figures, things like that, give us a follow. Physiotypes with an S at the end, like more than one physiotype. Um, Links in the description, in the show notes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we probably won't be doing this forever, but just for now, now that we're right now that we're getting started, if you guys have anyone you want typed, 
um, feel free to DM us or uh, to, um, to tag us in one of their photos. And we'll take a look and try to type them the best we can. All right. Again, thanks again, guys. See you in the next episode.